Our study today is entitled, I Declare. I Declare, okay? And we're going to jump right into our study. Our first section is called, I Declare That Jesus is Lord. And we're going to read through, there's a lot of scripture that we're going through today in our study. And every little bit is so important. So please follow along closely. Um, we're going to be reading from Joel chapter 2, verse 32a, and Romans 10, verse 8 to 13. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What I get from this passage here, right, in Romans, it shows us that Jesus' lordship is so linked to his resurrection. Okay? His resurrection is what shows us he is indeed the Messiah. His resurrection, he's, he was more than just a rabbi. He was more than just a prophet. See, Jesus died, and God rose him from the grave. So this, when we believe in his resurrection, that Jesus is indeed alive, then we could say with full certainty, we believe in our heart that Jesus was raised from the dead and he is alive, and we declare with our mouth that Jesus is indeed Lord. Okay? That declaration is more than just saying Jesus is Lord. Okay? Anybody could say it. But if they don't believe in their heart the truth of Jesus, then they're not declaring anything. See, declaring is more than just saying something, right? Declaring, it's a solemn thing. It, it means it, there's a lot of emphasis. There's belief that comes along with this thing that you're saying, right? There's conviction in it. So when we simply say Jesus is Lord, are they just words that come off of our lips because it's tradition, and this is what we do? Or do we declare that Jesus is Lord because we believe in his life, his death, and his resurrection? When we call upon the name of the Lord, when we declare with our mouth, with the belief in our heart about Jesus' resurrection, we are saved. But do we live with the real awareness that we are saved? You know? Sometimes we hear this good news that Jesus died for your sins and all your sins are forgiven. And when he's Lord of your life, when you receive him as Lord of your life, you are saved. But do we live in such a way that we are aware that we're saved? I know for myself as a Christian, I've struggled with this because I was so aware of other things in my life that weren't pleasing to God and I was still living like a person that was spiritually dead. I declared Jesus as Lord of my life. I believed about his resurrection, but I don't think I trusted in him. So my belief was like a half-hearted belief. I believed with my head, but not with my heart, you see. So we could agree that Jesus died and rose again, but if you don't believe as in putting your trust in that, that truth, then whatever we're saying, we're not truly declaring his lordship over our life. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, followed by Colossians 3, verse 17. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So in this, we see that we are to submit everything and every moment to Christ. Why? Because Christ is Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? It means to be master. It means to be the one who is above everything. 
It means the Lord is the one that you submit to, okay? So we are to submit everything and every moment that we live to Christ. We are to submit to him in whatever we think and do. Now, I know a lot of the time we might believe that we're submitting things to God because we don't do bad things. We're not doing bad things. But friends, let me ask you, are you thinking bad things? Because even our thoughts, even our thoughts need to be submitted to Christ. If our thoughts are not in the way of Christ, then we would be led down some alternate path. We won't be staying on the path of righteousness because we're thinking in a wrong way. If we were thinking in a right way, way, then we stay on the path of righteousness, right? If we're thinking in the wrong way, then you're going in the path of wrongness, okay? It's an easy way to think about it. Let's look at John chapter 20. Verses 24 to 29. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then, Thomas said, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out and put your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So Thomas, we know him as doubting Thomas because he didn't believe that after Jesus' resurrection they had actually seen the risen Lord, right? And he needed to see for himself. He wanted tangible evidence before he would believe, okay? And here's the thing. When he said those very things, unless I put my hand in his side, unless I see his marks, I won't believe. So Jesus miraculously pops into this locked room, right, in the midst of all his, his followers, and he calls Thomas in his unbelief. Come and see. This is what you wanted, right? This is what you wanted to see. But what Jesus invites him so that he could come to a place of belief. But Jesus also says something very important. Stop doubting and believe. Our doubt doesn't make the claims of Jesus any less true. I'll say it again. Our doubt does not make the things of Jesus or the claims of Jesus any less true. Truth is truth. It is absolute. Just because you don't agree with it or believe it doesn't make it any less true. Okay? So when you're faced with truth, you have a choice. You could choose to believe the truth that is before you, or you could choose to continue to live in doubt and unbelief. See, Jesus didn't say to him, stop not believing. He said, stop doubting and believe. Now, some people ask the question, is doubt such a bad thing? Doubt has its place. If doubt leads you to questions because you're seeking truth, then by all means, let it propel you and lead you to the truth. But if your doubt does not allow you to ask questions, it, it just leaves you where you are, and you don't care to seek truth, that's when the doubt is a horrible thing, okay? It doesn't lead us to life. But our belief in Jesus leads us to life. Now, there's something important. After Jesus said, stop doubting and believe, the next thing we see Thomas do, he exclaims, my Lord and my God. Like, this... This proclamation that he made, this realization, in that moment, he believed in his heart and he declared with his mouth, my Lord and my God. 
He's declaring the deity of Jesus, the Son of God, okay? And when he exclaims this, that very phrase became the apostles' message to the world. Jesus Christ is Lord. An, a, a doubting fella that comes to a true belief. If you have come to believe that Jesus truly is Lord, that God is who he says he is, and you believe in your heart that Jesus is alive and all his promises to you are fulfilled, that he is pouring out his spirit into your life, that he's revealing himself to you when you believe that in your heart, and you know that he's alive in you, then when you're declaring the truth of God, friends, it's coming from a real place because you believe it in your heart and you proclaim it with your mouth. Some people are just satisfied with believing in their heart and they're ashamed of the gospel so they don't speak it. They don't declare it. They claim Jesus for themselves because they want salvation, but they are ashamed to declare the name of Jesus. So they don't live in the way of Jesus. They live like they're still living in the world. And this poses a problem, doesn't it? it, it this is a very evident conflict that is present when we claim to be a Christ follower, yet our lives don't show that we follow Christ. This is the real thing that we're talking about today. We're talking about conflict and how it can be an affliction, okay? So our next section here is called, I declare war. I declare war on my personal conflict affliction. On my personal conflict affliction. If there was no conflict, would there be, need, would there be a, a need to declare war? If you're living at peace with someone, would there be a need to declare war? No, you wouldn't, right? But when you, are, when you become aware of the conflict, then you know something needs to be done. How many of you used to play that card game, War? You just have a stack of cards, and then you like deal it out equally, and everyone has to drop a card, and whoever has the high card gains all those cards, and the whole point of the game is that you get everything that everybody else has. So you declare war, right? And there comes a point in the game, after every hand is dropped, somebody collects it. But if there's a tie, if the high card is a tie, then you have to put down more cards on that turn. And you say, I declare war. And on the fourth card, whoever gets the high card, they get the entire pile. It's a fun game, right? But I remember as a kid, I was out to win it, you know? I declare war. And you're so full of it, and you're really making this declaration because I'm going to win this game. Even if you lose, you still believed at one point, you could still win. In our spiritual life, I feel sometimes it feels like a, a, a game of cards, like a game of war. We think we're going to make it, we believe we're going to make it, and then we see our pile dwindling away. And we think, where are all these blessings of God in my life? Why is it not here? And you start to lose faith. You start to not believe anymore. You doubt that you'll ever become victorious. Okay? There are many different things that we can struggle with. Let's read here first from Luke chapter 6, verse 46, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do as I say? But in your hearts, revere, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have, but do so with gentleness and respect. So this second passage here in 1 Peter, I know a lot of the time this verse has been used um, for apologetics purposes. Um, we tend to think that we need to give an answer for what we believe. We need to know our Bible inside out, have our theology like totally sound. And that, that's what we focus on in this verse. But so much of the time, I'm guilty of this, I miss the first part of this verse. And this is the most important. 
but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. If Christ is not Lord in your heart, if you don't believe him or worship him that way, then what are you trying to get your answers together for? Debate? You know, um, they have different faiths come together, and why are Christians, Jews, and Muslims, why do you believe what you believe? And that's apologetics, okay? And so much of the time, the church I grew up in, they teach you all these things. This is what we believe, this is why we believe it, and they give us all the verses that we need. So we learn all these things and we memorize it with our head. And we could regurgitate anything that's been said to us. But if, if I don't revere Christ as Lord in my heart, then all that knowledge, it's worthless. Because I'm not prepared to give an answer for the hope I have. If he's not Lord in my life, then I have no hope, you see. The question that rises from here, and he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? Do you worship Christ as Lord of your life? Do you honor, revere, respect, and declare that he is Lord? Do you hear him? Hearing, do you listen and obey? Friends, ask yourself the question today. You don't have to answer me. But you need to know for yourself, do you revere Christ as Lord in your heart? Do you truly believe in Jesus Christ? That he is who he says he is. If we believe that he is Lord of our life, then we ask the question, I call him Lord, but why do I not do what he says? Ask yourself that question. Yes, he is Lord of my life, but I know I, I don't do what he says. I'm stubborn. I am a difficult person. I still have my pride. I don't know how to humble myself. I'm afraid to let myself go to God. We start to sound like doubting Thomas all over again, okay? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war the way the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we walk in the flesh, but we don't live by the flesh. Our warfare is a spiritual one. God has placed his spirit within believers, within the hearts of believers, within our fallen human nature. So imagine the God of heaven... His spirit is implanted in mankind when they believe. But mankind still has this fallen human nature. So God and everything that is of God is all things good. And our fallen human nature is in conflict with God's goodness. So we are like hostile in a way to God's spirit in our life naturally. You know, when we come together at Praise Gathering, you always hear me praying and welcoming God's presence and his spirit in this place. Welcoming his presence in our heart. I mean, he's already there, but is he welcome? <laughs> right? You've, you've invited Jesus into your life, but is he welcome in your life? You know? It's like you throw a party, okay? You throw a party and you invite everyone to come over, all your friends, and they finally show up at your house, and you greet them with hugs and kisses. You give them slippers to wear. You, you give them a plate in their, in their hand, and you say, come, eat, eat, right? That's what we do as Filipinos. <laughs> eat, eat, lots of food, come, you know? You might even give them some leftover containers, you know? Okay, don't worry, you, you take home for baon, right? Um, and, and, you know, that's like good hospitality, 
right? And, and when, when you come into a Filipino home especially, most of the time you feel very welcome. You know, come, here's the mic, it's your turn for karaoke. You know, and like, yes, everybody applauds no matter how bad you sing. <laughs> you, you, feel, you feel good. You feel welcome in that place, right? But what if you come in and you don't smell that great, you don't like the food that they prepared, you know, and I don't know. What if you come in and there's just something about it that you just don't feel welcome there? Do you want to stick around? No. You don't feel welcome. You know, the hospitality is not there. You're not doing everything to make your guest feel welcome. And we're, we're meant to honor our guests when they come, right? It might be my party, but I'm the host. I want to make sure that I'm serving all of my guests well. So when we invite Christ into our life, you're the host for the presence of God in that moment. And are you making Christ feel welcome in your life? You're like, God, I need you. Why don't you stay? But while you're here, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm just going to ignore you. I'm going to make it all about me. And I'm just going to complain and complain and complain. And you're going to fix it, okay, God? Like, we're not revering him as Lord. We're looking at him like he's going to just solve all our problems for us, like the, a therapist. God is more than a therapist. You know, God is more than just a fix-it guy, right? So you have all these things, and you welcome him into your heart. But there will be that conflict. We have to acknowledge that. Yes. I remember when Christ came into his hometown, he was like, you're welcome. Yes. So he must have felt, you know, the, the pain and the, the rejection of his own people. Absolutely. I mean... In the world, it said anything that is of the world is opposed to God. And when Christ came to this world and into his hometown, his own Jewish people, he wasn't welcome, right? A prophet wouldn't be welcome in his own, amongst his own people because he speaks truth. And sometimes the truth can be very, what's the word? Offensive, painful, hard to swallow, right? Sometimes the truth, we don't want to look at the truth, you know? We'd rather live in our ignorance. We have to acknowledge that there is a conflict within us that we must declare war against, okay? I've accepted Jesus as Lord of my life. I've invited his spirit to be welcome in my life, and I want to live my life to please the Lord, but the conflict is my human nature has many desires that are opposed to God. That's conflict, okay? And we all want peace in our life, don't we? We all want peace. Guess what? God's peace is with us when we've accepted Jesus. God gives us his peace through his spirit. So when we welcome his spirit in, you already have the peace. But are you living that way with God? Or do you still feel like, oh, I'm so torn, I'm so divided, you know, I'm... There is that conflict, and we have to be aware of it. Sometimes we justify the conflict that we are aware of. Well, I guess this sin is not that bad. I could live with it. I'm not hurting anybody. So I could love God, and I'll still get away with the things I want to get away with, as long as I don't do it to other people. No, that's a lie. Be aware of the conflict and declare war on it. If you allow that conflict to remain, you create a very hostile environment for the life of Christ to come alive in you. The conflict comes when we have other little gods, when we have other little gods that we revere in our heart instead of revering Christ as Lord, okay? Because it shows that all our attention, all our devotion, all our desire is for something other than Christ himself. You cannot serve two masters. That's right. You cannot serve both God and money. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And it's interesting. <laughs> Joshua was the leader of that Israelite 
clan going out in the wilderness and to be led by someone that has declared, I serve the Lord, I mean, that's a declaration. You know that you're not bowing down to anybody else. You know that you are trusting the Lord for everything, right? And that's a question. Do you trust God for everything you need in your life? Or do you still try and secure your life here on earth, turning to other things that this world has to offer? Ultimately, place all your trust in God. Hear him, obey him, and things go well with you, friends. Stop doubting and believe. Will you allow Jesus to be Lord of your life once and for all? Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 to 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is one of my favorite things. When you have conflict, right? You have a, something going on with a coworker or something going on with a family member, and there's conflict and tension between the, the two of you. I mean, like, anxious feelings start to rise up don't they? And you wonder, how am I going to deal with this person? What am I going to do about this situation? And you try to make everything work for yourself, and you grow anxious, right? This is one of my life verses. It just very plainly, don't be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray. All right? Can I just hear you all say, don't worry. worry. Instead, pray. pray. If you're going to walk away with one thing today, it's going to be that. Don't worry. Instead, pray. I mean, like, that's it. Because when we pray to God, it shows I'm not giving in to the fear of this thing that's causing my anxiety. I'm giving in to the trust that I have in God that he will see me through all this. I don't need to worry. And then when you look to God and you're relying on him for everything, there is a peace that I cannot explain. There is a peace that words cannot Oh, it's just like, it's ineffable, this peace that comes over you. And not just peace of mind or a settled spirit so you could go to sleep. Peace in the sense that I am at complete rest in the hands of a mighty and able and powerful God. I do not need to worry. I have a loving father that's done everything for me already. I know he loves me. Why should I worry? No matter what happens in the world, you could get struck down with heart disease. You could get struck down with cancer. Your house could burn down. Your children could have autism. Your marriage could be shaky. You know, whatever it is, I don't need to worry because I'm trusting in God for everything. The world will fail you. But God has got the whole world in his hands, friends. This is, this is it, okay? God is already victorious over this fallen world, right? God has already won the war over death. That's why we declare Jesus as Lord. It's linked with the resurrection. I mean, nobody could give life except God who is life. The enemy tries to kill that life. If you want to know true life, friends, we only find it through Christ. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to be in Christ to know Father God who is life. If you choose anything else, you're choosing the losing side. So if you want to be a Christ follower, but you're choosing the losing side, there is a conflict that is within you that you need to declare war on. It might not even be a secret sin that you struggle with. It might just be an attitude that you have, a bad attitude toward other people. You grumble. You complain. You're never satisfied. You're not grateful to God for anything. You're waiting for everything to turn out for you. I mean, that itself causes a conflict within because it makes a 
sound like God, what you have to offer me, it's not enough. That's why the Bible tells us we need to be renewed, transformed by the renewing of our mind. Being a Christ follower, it's not just doing things the way Christ did it. It's having the same mindset as Christ in humility and submission to the will of Father God. Right? If Jesus stepped out of the will of God when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Moments before he was arrested to be crucified on the cross, Jesus knelt down in that garden and he prayed, Take this cup from me, if it's your will, Lord God. Father, I can't bear this right now, but if this is your will, then so be it. He didn't want to have to go and be separated from Father God, because remember, he took all our sin, and sin separates us from God. And all the sin of all the world, of all time, was placed in Jesus. So when Jesus carried your sin, my sin, when Jesus carried that with him to the cross, he was separated from the Father. And he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? He didn't want to have to feel that pain of being separated from Father God. When anybody declares Jesus as Lord of your life, you acknowledge that life without him would be absolute hell. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all that you are, everything that you have, you do not want to be separated. You will do everything to ensure that you remain there with the one you love. So anything that comes along to try and pull you away from this love of God, you declare war against. If it's pornography, I declare war against you. You have no stronghold in my life anymore. If it's nasty attitudes towards your partner, unforgiveness, I'm holding a grudge, you submit that to God and you declare war against that and you say, no, you will not have victory here, you bad attitude. Get out of here. You declare war against it because you believe in your heart that God is with you and his spirit is fighting for you, friends. It's not you that has to do the work, but you have to stop lying to yourself about the conflicts that are present in your life. When you become aware of these conflicts, friends, will you stand up and declare war? Will you allow God to fight this battle in your life for you? Much of the time we think sin is simply what we say and we do. But Jesus elevated the standard and taught that even if our thoughts are sinful, we have committed sin. So we are instructed to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. When we declare war on our personal conflict affliction, we need not be anxious about anything, friends. Pray to God and his peace will guard your hearts and your minds. Where? In Christ Jesus. See, if the conflict is there, we don't have the peace. We're not experiencing, I say. We're not experiencing the peace that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's look at Romans chapter 6, verse 5 to 11, and 8, verses 5 to 8. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a res resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. For if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. It's very clear, isn't it? Right? I mean, like, these passages in Romans are so clear. And I, I feel sometimes we, we treat the book of Romans like it's so full of mystery. But these are like mysteries that are revealed. Okay? And if you just read it very plainly, you will see the truth that comes out of this. Okay? If we declare that Jesus is Lord of our lives and we believe in our hearts that he was resurrected, then we must consider ourselves as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Are you dominated by your sinful nature or controlled by God's spirit? Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. If we are still controlled by our sinful nature, we cannot please God. I mean, when I first read this passage, I was already singing in the praise team. I was already serving God and doing Bible study. But when I read this passage, whoa, I was confronted. I was like, I, I was conflicted within myself because it, it says right there, if we are still controlled by our sinful nature, you cannot please God. Let's just sit on that for a while because I don't know that there's too much to say about it except for the awareness of if that conflict within you is causing you to remain dominated by your sinful nature, you cannot please God. All your efforts, whatever you're trying to do, if there's no love for God in it, it's worthless. You could help as many people on the street, okay? You could help a person who's mourning. You could do kind and good deeds to people. But if there's no love in it for the Lord, it's worthless in his eyes. Remember that passage? Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? And the Lord says, Sorry, get away from me. I never knew you. Okay? What is motivating you to want to live a life pleasing to God? Is it out of reverence for God as your, as your Lord, as your King, as your Savior, as your Creator? Or is it because you're just trying to save your own life still? That's a hard pill to swallow. Does anybody have any questions? Any comments? You know, if you do ever have questions, and we, these are studies, it's not a sermon. Okay, feel free. Um, if you're nervous about asking a question here, um, add me on Facebook and Facebook Messenger me. I love communicating with people this way. Okay, um, and please, you're, you're, you are welcome. There's also an email address on the back of your handouts. Um, you could always use that email address to, to write your questions. Just give me the name of the study, point out which section you have a, a question about, and um, we could continue our study digitally that way as well. Okay? Sometimes we're afraid to allow God to have control of our minds. Right? <laughs> we don't want to submit our, our life to God. We don't want to submit our minds to him because we have control issues. We want to be in control. We don't want to feel that, you know, somebody else is making the, the calls for us. But friends, when you declare Jesus as Lord of your life and you welcome his spirit into your heart, guess what? You are led by his spirit to live the way that God wants you to live. And he gives you everything you need 
to accomplish everything God is leading you into. So you don't have to bring anything. You just show up and you say, here I am, Lord. Have your way in me. Whatever your will is, God, let it be so. You know, it means that you trust him completely to remain there and allow his will to be worked out through your life. And God is a loving father that only wants good things for his children. A loving father will not give their children the bad things. He gives their children exactly what they need. And sometimes what we need, it's discipline, isn't it? So when we're conflicted in ourselves, I see my little boys, and they're conflicted. You know, and it's a very real thing. You know, one of them, he's about seven years old right now, and he says to me and his mom, he says, listen, I don't know why I keep doing the bad things. I want to do the good things, but it's just, it's so hard to do the good things. It's just easier to do the bad things. And he keeps talking, and you can't get a word in. But he's working it out. Like, he's very aware of this very spiritual issue. He's aware of the conflict that's within him. And me and my wife look at each other, and we're like, what are we supposed to do? Like, how are we supposed to lead him now? And, you know, instead of worrying, pray. You know, like, don't worry, pray. And, and this is a big test for my wife and I. Because we feel it's our responsibility to raise up our children and teach them how to love the Lord. But you know what? I know my son already has a love for God. That's why he's struggling. That's why he's aware of this conflict that's within him. So I don't give up on him, but I keep praying and trusting God that at the right time he will reveal himself to my boy. You know, that, like, that's my prayer. It's not in my power, but it's only God's power that could win their hearts to him. See? That was a conflict of my own. <laughs> my son's conflict brought out a conflict in me, and we have to declare war against it and submit all that to the Lord. Let's look at Exodus chapter 14, verse 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. All right, on the count of three, everybody be still. One, two, three. Somebody wasn't still. They moved their lips. <laughs> okay. It's right there. Be, be. <laughs> All right. But right there, sometimes when we think about stillness, we just think about frozen. Right? But have you heard the term frozen in fear? See, that's what fear does. Fear freezes us to this sort of stillness. But the stillness that it talks about here in the Bible, when it says you need only to be still, it means stop wrestling and trying to do things yourself. Trust God completely. That's the stillness. Trust that God is the one fighting for you. You don't have to do the fighting. You declare war and trust that God is fighting for you. Absolutely, submit yourself to God. If you're not submitted to him and you're opposed to him, well, God's going to win. And guess where you're going to be? On the other side, right? I love this. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Having a deep abiding trust in the Lord is, once again, if you walk away with anything today, Trust in the Lord. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Okay? Trust in the Lord. Don't worry. Instead, pray. Do you ever feel like God is asking too much of you? Like his standards are too high? Do you ever feel like, oh, I could never do what God's saying in the Bible? Of course we can't. That's why we need a Savior. I mean, we're sinful human beings. There's no way that we could do everything that God is asking us to do in our own strength. But by God's power, we could live and do everything God is calling us to do if we allow him to do the work in us. Okay? We remain submitted to him. It is when we are still in quietness and trust that we can see how God is fighting for us. There's a story about a, a queen named Esther. 
in the Bible. Have you ever read the book, Esther, in the Bible? Okay. Or maybe you've seen the movie. Yeah, Netflix has a movie. Okay. Um, but the story of Esther, first of all, her name, the root of her name is Hester. And Hester in Hebrew means hidden. Okay? Quick story summary here. There's a king, Babylonian king, and he is looking for a new bride, a new queen, okay? Because Queen Vashti was just like this horrible queen, very entitled, so he goes, get out of my face, Vashti, I'm getting myself a new wife. So he's, there's this message that goes out to all the land. I'm looking for a new wife. All the young eligible bachelorettes, you line up, and you get ready. And all the bachelorettes were collected from the streets and brought to the palace, and they were pampered and trained. to It's like a beauty pageant, right? You fluff them up, make them look pretty, teach them some tricks, and then they get up on stage in front of the king, and the king will decide, I give you a 10. <laughs> I give you a 5. It's like, yeah, she'll do, you know? And, and it's kind of like America's Got Talent, and they're just kind of waiting, and Apparently, long story short, Queen Esther didn't want to be, uh, Esther, the young girl, Hadassah, she didn't want to be there. When they were collecting girls from the street, she hid away. She didn't want to be there. She didn't want to be queen. She just wanted to be home with her family, you know? And she was a Jew. And she had, she had, she hid the fact that she was a Jew, right? So that remained hidden the whole time she was in this process. But you know what? They did pull her in, and she did go to the palace. She was trained up. When the king was giving these girls all the food and all the riches of his kingdom, she remained to the law that was written on her heart. Remember, as a Jew, she, she wanted to honor God even while she was there. So she didn't eat the king's meat. She didn't eat any food offered to idols. Like She remained on her diet, and she was beautiful, and she looked great. But she was hidden away. She didn't want any of this. But apparently she comes up, stands before the king, gets a golden buzzer. You know, yay, golden buzzer. But she wasn't happy. You know, so she was a queen living in the palace very quietly. She didn't want to stir the boat. Long story short, there was some sort of conflict that arose in the kingdom where the Jews would be exiled. And Queen Esther she wouldn't have been exiled along with her own people, okay? She, she hid the fact that she was a Jew. And when the king made the decree, okay, anybody that's Jewish, you go away, he didn't realize his own wife was a Jew. But that decree wouldn't have applied to her as queen. She could have stayed in the palace. She could have stayed as queen over all these people while her people are taken away in exile. But she chose to do the right thing. She chose to stand with her people. Was she nervous? Yes. She was a young girl. Yes. And the fate of her people were resting on her shoulders. Imagine that pressure, the conflict that she must have had. I could save myself, not say anything, and still be queen. But what about all my people? Maybe this is why I was placed here. Her uncle Mordecai said, you know, Maybe you were made queen for such a time as this. And it was in that moment that she realized, okay, if this is what the Lord would have me do, I have to do something. I have to go talk to the king. Now, you are not allowed to come to the king unless you were called. Okay? And she boldly said, you know what? I'm going to approach the king, and if I die, I die. But she goes out fighting for the right thing. So Queen Esther, one day, she decides to tell all the Jews. She sends out word, pray, pray, pray. She wants everybody to be praying, all the, all the Jewish people. And with all that prayer, she knew she was going out there before the king. If I die, I die, but I know God is with me. If I die, I die. When she took that first step, coming out of hiding, if you would, she takes a step towards her king. That would be a very big risk. The penalty would be death if you try to approach the king without being called. 
If he holds out his royal scepter, then he pardons you, and he allows you to live. Guess what happens? She takes one step toward her king, and all of a sudden, God's favor is made evident with Esther. Until we take that step of faith, we are not declaring war on anything. You could say you believe in God and have all this faith stored up in your heart, but if you don't live it out, if you don't do anything with it, then you wonder, why is God's favor not on me? See, there's a wisdom here that God's revealing. Remember we talked about God hiding his name away from the Israelites when they fell away from him? He hid his name away, and then he hid his name in the name of Jesus. Do you remember that study? See, this is the way that God does things. Esther, she comes out at the right time. She comes out of hiding at the right time so that the will of God would be worked out in this situation. The king held out his scepter. He says, my queen, welcome. How's the golden buzzer treating you? You know, it's like, are you enjoying the palace, you know? And he says to the queen, listen, you could ask for anything you want. What is it, my dear? You know? I mean, the, if I was a king, I'd be like, yeah, why are you coming to me? What's the issue? What's up? You're not happy? That's why he ousted the first wife, right? But he says, my queen, come. You could ask me for anything, even up to half my kingdom. I mean, if you're looking for the blessings of God, it comes when we're obedient to his leading in our life. If God's telling you to go somewhere and do something, you step in faith and you do it, and God works all things together. Okay? I mean, Esther was already queen. She had everything she could possibly need, right? It looks like everything's working out for her, but she there was a conflict inside her that she declared war on. And when she declared war on it, then God fought for her. God fought for his people, right? That's what we just read. If you're waiting for God to act in your life before you decide to believe in him, listen to the words of Jesus to Thomas. Stop doubting and believe. And when you believe in your heart and you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you ask yourself, the question that Jesus asked. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, yet you don't do what I ask? All these things work together. All of Scripture is saying, listen, guys, this is how we need to live with God. We allow him to take control in our life, to lead us and guide us on the path he has before us. All we need to do is walk along that path. Queen Esther walked along that path. Everything she asked for, king, come to dinner with me. Great, he came to dinner. The next day, king, come to dinner, bring Haman. He came to dinner, right? King, I am a Jew. You are exiling my Jewish people, right? You are, you're getting rid of my people. I don't want this to happen. Okay, she gets what she wants. All because she declared war on that conflict that was within her. God was working all things together. You want to see God work all things together in your life? It might not work out best for you the way you want it right now, but we don't live for ourselves. We live for God. Typically, we tend to hide things out of embarrassment or discomfort. The modern-day concept is, if you got it, flaunt it, right? That's why you take selfies, you know, and you put it up on Facebook. If your desire is to show what you have to offer, then sure, go ahead and flaunt it. If your desire is to use your capabilities for a higher purpose to achieve a greater good, then the best way to do this is to begin in private, in a hidden way, so that the goal can be accomplished. This is the lesson we learn from Esther. When we have conflict in our life, I think sometimes we're too quick to go run and complain to our friends, right? 
We complain about what's wrong. What's the word? I want to say bad words, but this is what we do. We just talk about, we complain. And um, if there's that conflict within you guys, hide it for a while. Submit it to God. Allow God to do the work in your life. Right? God doesn't want you complaining. He doesn't want you being ungrateful. If ungrateful things are coming off your mouth, it firms up the ungratefulness that's in your heart. Okay? If you want better things to be coming off your mouth, you need better things in your heart. How can we accomplish this when the conflict is still present? The conflict afflicts you. And you're frozen, paralyzed, and you get stuck where you are. But God frees us with his peace. So we don't need to be conflicted within ourselves. If Jesus is Lord, love him with all your heart. Stop giving your heart to other things. I mean, we've been saying this for, what, four years? (laughs) Here at Praise Gathering? Yet I'm sure we're still struggling with it. If you're struggling with it, keep struggling. That's a good thing. If you're not struggling, then be very concerned. Declare war on the conflict, friends, and completely trust in God to fight this battle for you. He is able. Do you believe it? I declare I am who God says I am. Don't care about what other people say about you. Right? Someone says, oh, that person, they're so stupid, you know? That person, they're so greedy. Don't talk to that person. Look at them, you know? They only got a 10th grade education. And we start to believe the lies that people say about us. We start to believe we're ugly. We start to believe that we're not worth anything, you know? We start to believe that we're unlovable. Who could ever love you? You're despicable. Get out of my face. You're not worth my time. You know? Maybe the the lies that you chose to believe when you were growing up. You're just a stupid kid. You make you disgust me. There are scars that run deep. We want to believe the good things that God says about us, but we don't believe those things could be true of us because we're so despicable. You know what God says about you? He says that you are loved. He loved the world so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. He makes a way to him so that we could be with him and live with him. He says you are wonderful. He delights in you. You are his child. He cares for you. He knows your pain. He hears your hurt. He hears your cries. And he calls you his child. I mean, come on. If that ain't good news, I don't know what is. Right? Let's look at Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, For your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. 
No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. They'll try to separate you from the love of God. But they don't let them be successful. Okay? Friends, here's a word for you. You cannot be a victim and a victor at the same time. That's a truth. We play the victim card all the time. Poor me. Look at me. Kawawa. Kawawa ako. Poor me, right? Like, and we play the victim card. Life has been so cruel to me. You know? When will things start working out for me? Me, me, me. Wah, wah, wah. It sounds like a child, right? The baby cries. Change my diaper, give me a bottle, feed me now, hug me, look at me, love me, shower me with gifts. No child. <laughs> me, 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 it's not about us, guys. This life that we're living is not to glorify ourselves, to build up our own kingdom, to get what we want. We exist to glorify God. That's it. And if our lives, if we're not living our lives, to please God in that way, then we have to acknowledge, yes, there is still a conflict that I need to declare war against within myself. Don't look at the sins of other people around you. Don't point fingers and judge and condemn. Don't try to justify saying, well, they're a Christian, look what they're doing. I guess it's okay for me to do it too, right? Stop looking at the outward behavior because the Lord looks at your heart. What's on your heart today, friends? You cannot be a victor and a victim at the same time. Too often we may identify as a victim of our circumstances, a victim of our spiritual oppression, a victim of our fallen human nature, and we say, well, the enemy is making me do it. I want to love God, but the enemy is making me do it. You know what? You have a choice. You have a choice to allow the enemy to have control, or you have a choice to allow God's spirit to have control. It's your choice. The only thing you got to do, you don't have to fight the battle. You declare war and you choose your side. You're either a victim or a victor. Through Jesus Christ, we are more than conquerors. For God has conquered the grave when he rose Jesus to life. That's what we talk about when we say resurrection power. When you believe in Jesus and you're born again, and his spirit dwells within you, he comes alive with that resurrection power to save you from the power of sin in your life. So friends, declare war every day you acknowledge there's a conflict within you. And trust God that he's fighting it for you. Instead of worrying about it, pray. <laughs> I mean, pray. And allow God's will to come through in your life. Because God is a faithful God. He always does what he says he's going to do. And he said that he will be with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will fight for you. He loves you. And he also promised that he's coming back to take us to be with him for all eternity. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. This is good news, yes? Come on. I think it's, an, it's time that we stop calling ourselves Christians and saying, Lord, Lord, and not living the way God wants us to live. Because his spirit is with you. Welcome him in your life every day, friends. Allow him to lead your life and walk that path that he's putting before you. I guarantee God will reveal all things to you in due time. Okay? Let's look at John chapter 1, verse 9 to 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and through the world was made through him. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or of husband's will, but born of God. All those who receive Jesus Christ and believe in his name have the right to become God's children. And as his children, we call out to him, our Father, right? Are you a child of God? Yeah? If you're a child of God, declare it. You know, Jesus declared that he was a son of God. And that was his declaration that caused the world to hate him. It was that declaration that got him put up on the cross. But if we are followers of Jesus, we can say, I am a child of God. I live for him, and he lives with me. Okay? Friends, before we leave today, I want you to look at your sidebar. I wrote out some declarations that you could, that you could just start saying each day. These might be things that you don't quite believe in your heart yet. Don't let them just be words on a, on a page. If you read them out, stand in front of the mirror, look at yourself, and start declaring these words. And ask yourself, do I really believe what I'm saying to be true? If you don't believe what you're saying to be true, then declare war on that conflict in that moment. Do you understand? This, this tool is here to help unearth any conflicts that you need to declare war on in your life. These things that I put here, these declarations, are all things of truth. It's all from Scripture. Okay? Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Here's a declaration that you could all say today. I am a new creation. Again, I am a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. Friends, stand with me. Rise to new life in Christ every morning.